Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. It's another Sunday. We get a chance to make much of Jesus together, uh, to continue in our mission to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry for the traffic jam this morning. Anybody get stuck in a little traffic coming to church today? Hey, that is my fault. I did not plan that well, but you're going to see full well uh, why that is, and I'm excited to share that with you. I want to say this as we, uh, as we begin. We have... Oftentimes, you're going to find with generosity, other places, we celebrate a lot of what God's doing at Connect Church. And I want to celebrate a couple more things. I know Dominic did a great job of that earlier. Hey, but did you know that this week, we had a service over at the juvenile center, that is the juvenile prison here in Sevier County. We're now in there. We're kind of planning Connect Church in there. And you know, this week, we not only had our first salvation, but we had our first baptism over at the juvenile jail. Isn't that good? I love it. Uh, we had run some numbers here recently just about our online audience. And uh, I wanted to share with you, if I can remember where I left my phone, I may have let, there it is. I wanted to share with you something really cool last week that had happened. Um, on Monday morning, I was sitting in the office. And just so you know, there's a lot of folks who join online. And honestly, I don't know why you do, but I'm so glad you're there. I always tell me, camera adds 400 pounds. Uh, but anyway, listen. A lady wrote in this past Monday, and she said this. She said, hey, Pastor Anthony, I just watched your message on my way to work as I do every Monday. And she said something nice about the message, and she said this. It opened my eyes to a lot of things, including me. I know you couldn't see my eyes during your closing prayer, but I looked up to, I am a whosoever, and she given her heart and life to Jesus. Last Monday morning, isn't that good stuff? Hey, why is it? Hey, why is it that we celebrate? Because what we celebrate, we will replicate. And I want God to replicate that again and again and again in the life of our church. As we begin, and before I get into the sermon today, it's important that I address these rumors of revival that are happening across the country. Places like Asbury College in Kentucky and other college campuses. I've watched carefully... I've read pastor after pastor and article after article on what is called revival there. And constantly people this week have reached out and said, hey, hey Pastor Anthony, what are your thoughts on what is going on at Asbury College? And, and here's what I've simply shared. If they're really twofold. First of all, man, I, I celebrate what God is doing in Asbury, Kentucky and on across all these college campuses. I celebrate it. Number two, God, replicate that in me. God, reproduce that in me and in our church. God, send revival. Send revival. I find it amazing that in the church in America, so many churches have prayed for years for revival to happen. And when it does in a place like Hasbury, Kentucky, you know what the church is really quick to do? Be critical. God, send revival. I don't know if that's it. Yeah. I'm not, that doesn't fit in my box. And we celebrate, and God, would you replicate that? I had a pastor friend who, who visited the revival. I've met him, and I trust him. His church has been in revival for a year and a half now. And he wrote some things. He said, here's six things that I've, I've noticed about God and revival when it comes to his church. And here they are. Number one, when it comes to revival, you cannot plan it. Maybe we should stop trying. You can't plan it. Number two, revival is messy. And the church is all too tidy. 
Revival is messy. I'd rather have a messy move of God than a manufactured man-made one any day. Number three, you won't see revival without risk. Number four, belief is the fuel that stokes the fire of revival. Number five, you can't manage it, so don't try. And number six, I love this, discipleship must follow a move of God. Jesus never said, make Christians or decisions. He said, make disciples. And church, I want to remind you that God is not bound by location or geography. Revival can come to you. It can come to your home. It can come to your church. And it can come to your community. But listen to me. It must start with you. And it must start with me. He later on wrote this. He said, he said I don't want to be the blood clot preventing revival." Coming to my family and my, my church and my community. And then he wrote two simple words that hit me. He says, I was. I was. Church, I want you to hear me in my heart. I do not want to be the blood clot preventing revival from flowing. I want to be the, the blood-bought believer whose heart is preparing for whose heart is pleading for and whose heart is positioned for God to send revival in me and through me in the life of my family, in our church, and in our community. So God, would you send revival? And I just wanted to address it for a moment. Because here's what I begin to see all throughout Scripture. When God begins to revive his church, you know what he does? He sends them out on a singular mission, one mission for all of this church. You ready? And that mission is this, to rescue the perishing. To rescue the perishing. And I love John 3.16 for so many reasons. This incredible conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus under the cover of the dark of the night. And of all the things I love about John 3.16, one of the things I love the most is just how clearly, how concisely Jesus unveils for us God's rescue plan for the perishing. I don't know if you've heard of this verse yet, but watch this in John 3.16. Hey, we've been in here six months. You ain't heard it. You wake up on preaching. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That, and I'm going King Jimmy here, remember, that whosoever believes in him, shall not, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Today we focus on three words. One phrase in the life of John 3, 16, and that phrasing, those words, shall not or will not perish. Hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of perishing going on around us these days. In the past two weeks, over 46,000 people stepped out into eternity when the ground beneath their homes began to shake. There's a whole lot of perishing going on. Even this morning, churches in the Ukraine are fighting off an invasion from Russia to the tune of losing 100,000 civilians in the past year and over 30,000 soldiers. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of perishing that is going on. Every week, thousands of children their lives taken in the womb. There's a lot of perishing going on. Every day, 150,000 people on this planet step out into eternity. There's a lot of perishing that is going on. 
But here in John 3, 16, Jesus addresses a perishing that is not just physical death, but a death that is far more dangerous, a spiritual death. It is a perishing that happens at the hands of the greatest enemy of our souls, and that is our sin. A study of this word perishing that that Jesus uses in the conversation exposes really the internal impact of sin. It is important to know that this word perishing in John 3, 16 doesn't mean annihilation or ceasing to exist. In fact, if you were to study it, here's the word in the Greek, apollomy. And it describes that which is ruined. Hey, can I just remind you, sin ruins everything. Sin ruins everything and everyone it touches. And you know what this room is? This room is a testimony of just that. Every person in this room knows that story. It describes that which is ruined and is no longer usable for its intended purpose. Guys, what is our intended purpose? You ready? That our life might bring honor and glory to God and that through Christ we find eternal life in Him. And when that doesn't happen, you know what happens? We perish. And so many, too many, are perishing as we speak. You see, I think of how much that sin ruins God's intended design for us. It destroys us. You ready? It damns us not only to a life separated from God, our Creator, but an eternity without Him as well in a place the Bible calls hell. Hey, people are perishing. Perishing, hell, All of it's just bad news. But then Jesus reminds us in the text today of the good news in John 3, 16, that believing in him, hey, old Nicodemus, you don't have to perish. For those perishing here today and around the world, hey, that doesn't have to be your story. Because if you believe in Jesus... You will not perish. And I'm going to tell you, in a world filled with bad news, this gospel is some really, really good news. Hey, speaking of the gospel, let me remind you that that Jesus perished, meaning this, that Jesus took our sin upon himself and died that we might live. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible tells us, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus That by believing in him, following him, believing what he did on the cross, believing his resurrection, that we will not perish. We will not die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Let me just sum it up this way. You ready? Jesus did the perishing so that you and I could do the living. Jesus did the perishing so that you and I, so that we could do the living. Let me put it this way. For those who are in Christ, this old earth is the closest thing to hell that you'll ever see. For those of you who who are perishing and who will die apart from Christ, this old earth is the closest thing to heaven that you will ever see. It's the closest to heaven you'll ever be. For the person who is here and you are perishing in your sin. You don't have a relationship with with Jesus. Your life has never been changed by his gospel. You've never really followed Jesus with your life. 
Can I, can I share with you some good news? You don't have to continue perishing. You do not have to perish in your sin. Man, Anthony, how do you know that? You ready? You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever, that means, hey, that means you, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I want to invite you to do something. I want us to pray together. Right where you are, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me? And this is going to be different from us because doesn't this always come at the end? And, I mean, today I want to stop for a moment because this is one of the most important parts of our time together. And to say this, that there are some of us in this room, you are dying in your sin when all the while Jesus died for your sin. You know, listen, you know that you're not in Christ or there's some great fear that you really are. And listen, today you are perishing. And I just want to stop and just for one moment give those of you who say, Anthony, I'm, I'm perishing in my sin, I'm dying in my sin, a moment to cry out for Jesus to save you because you know what? That's what does best. If you're here and you're, I don't know that I'm in Christ. I don't know that I've been saved. Right now from where you are, would you just cry out for him to save you? Maybe pray something like this from your heart to God. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please save me. I place my faith and my trust in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for rising again. I give you my life. Save me from perishing. In Jesus' name, and with nobody looking, some of you just prayed that with me and you cried out for Jesus to save you. We had six or seven in the first service who did. If you prayed that with me, I will not embarrass you. I will not come to you. But if you prayed that with me, would you just look up here for a moment? Can I just see your eyes? I see you, buddy. Ma'am, I see you. I see you, sir. Ma'am, I see you. I see you, ma'am. I see your tears, too. Amen. Somebody else? I see you. I see both of you. I see you, young lady. Sir, I see you. I see you. Somebody else, buddy, I see you. Young lady, I see you. Anybody else? That's me. Man, I just prayed that with you. Hey, listen to me. For those who looked up, in Jesus we perish no more. In Jesus, perishing is no longer a part of our story. And I want to ask everybody, and there's a lot of you who looked up today, I want you to do something. I want you to promise me you're going to get a hold of me this week. For those of you who are young, man, talk with your parents about what the Lord's doing in you. Man, I see your parents around you. Talk with them. Reach out to me this week. You can go to the Next Steps tent on your way out. Let them know. Reach out social media, our website, whatever it is. If you looked up at me, I, I would just want this one joy just to call and pray with you. And to help you take whatever next steps of faith you have, okay? Thank you for looking up.
I'm excited about what God's doing in your life. Let's, let's connect this week, okay? All right, thank you. Hey, church, I'm going to get everybody to look up, if you will. Hey, first of all, man, can we just celebrate those who made a decision for Christ today? Amen. Just never gets old. Every believer in the room, I want to remind you of something. That once you have been rescued from the perishing, do you know what God does? He sends you to rescue everyone else who is perishing. Let me remind you of what David Platt would say. I love this quote. You ready? That every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. Man, that is true. And that is at the heart of rescuing the perishing. According to Compassion International, we find this, that there's a lot of people who are perishing, not just spiritually, but there's a lot of physical perishing going on. That one out of every 10 persons in the world lives below the international poverty line. That's over 689 million people struggling to survive on less than $1.90 a day. You go, Anthony, how is it that we could... We can help rescue all those who are perishing when there's so many perishing around us. You ready? Church, hear me. It must begin with us loving and serving and meeting the needs of those who are perishing. Why? Because when we love, when we serve, when we meet the needs of those who are perishing, it opens not only doors but hearts to the gospel. It always has. It's how Jesus did. That's how he opened the door. That's how he opened our hearts in rescuing the perishing. Nearly two billion people, or 26.2% of the world's population, live in absent poverty. Watch this, living just on $3.20 a day. Food insecurity is a reality for billions of people on our planet. One in three, only one in three, have access to clean water to drink. Uh, imagine that. We, we know nothing of that. And we have clean water, and so much of the world does not have access to clean water. Education. Man, what so many of us realize, the thing that allows us to not exist in poverty, education is a luxury for those living in the poorest parts of our world, meaning this, that even public schools have a tuition and a uniform, and most kids who live in poverty cannot even go to school to be lifted out of poverty. It's a terrible cycle in so many and too many are perishing. Hey, yes, people are perishing spiritually due to sin, but also people are perishing as well, dying due to the devastating effects of sin on the world around us. So what does rescuing the perishing look like? Well, oftentimes it begins by, by feeding the hungry. Hey, oftentimes by giving clean water to those who are thirsty. Rescuing the perishing means giving medicine to the sick, education to the poor, job training to the impoverished, clothing the naked, and meeting the needs of a sin-ravaged world. Which, let me remind you again, at its end, opens not only doors but hearts for people who are perishing to hear the gospel. Hey, can I remind you of a passage that now for the third Sunday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share? I don't ever do that. Um, but why am I sharing it again? Because I don't know if we got it yet. I don't know if we all, we're all there yet. Watch this, you ready? What good is it, 
my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If anyone of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, and it says, hey, good luck, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is what? It is, it's dead. It's dead. I introduced you a few weeks ago to, to Eliani. Aaron, uh, you know my wife, she, she's saying over here, I believe. She's that beautiful Burnett over here. I got a crush on her, all that good stuff, right? So me and her and our four kids, three years ago, rescued Eliani from perishing through Compassion International. And we love this little girl. We write to her all the time and she writes to us and here's the letters that we have that we share. My kids pray for at night. The sweetest prayers. Her picture's before us. And we love her. Three years ago, when Aaron and I sponsored her for you ready we call it rescue but you, for 38 dollars a month let, let me just kind of frame that up for you You know what 38 dollars a month is to my people at taco bell two meals to feed pastor anthony okay that's 38 dollars a month for some of you ladies you know what that is a small coffee at starbucks so let me just frame up what 38 dollars a month looks like and let me tell you what happened with that 38 dollars you ready eliani received perhaps for the first time in her life a nutritious meal and clean water to drink my $38 put clean clothes on her back and shoes that were not broken on her feet. And that's a bigger deal than you would think. For my $38, she immediately had access to medical care and now has continued access. I shared with you about school and tuition. Well, there were two things that Eliani did not have, and that was school, and she did not have tuition money, and she did not have a uniform. And you know what my $38 did? It helped pay her tuition, and it helped put a school uniform on her so that she could go to school. She received specialized tutoring and training at her church. Where there, she's going to be caught up in school, and as she ages, she's going to receive life skills training so that she can have an income-generating job when she graduates from the program. Most of all, Eliani, like so many other compassion kids, receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, teach, they, they get Bible teaching, which gets, gives them the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. She gets to experience the love and support of a local church family, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with me and Aaron and, and our kids. And all this with the partnership of a, a local church in her village that believes the Bible and is going to love on her. When she graduates from compassion in 10 years at the age of 18, she will be a biblically sound young adult. Her life totally transformed, for she has been empowered, not enabled, to never live in poverty again and to do so as a believer in Jesus Christ. We sponsor Eliani, because in some small part, some small way to some little girl, we are rescuing her. Rescuing her from perishing. It's one of the greatest joys 
in our life. You know, alongside of giving to Connect Church, Aaron and I, uh, we give generously to Connect Church, to the Lord through Connect Church. But alongside of that giving, we do a lot of other charities. There is no, there is no organization that we are more proud of alongside of our church to partner with than Compassion International. Now, I can't think of something that gives me an exponentially greater return on our $38 than this little girl right here. Before I, uh, I, I would lead our church to maybe rescue some kids today, I, I flew over to the DR with Brother Scott here, who's my, who's my eating buddy. Uh, we were over there. We shut some restaurants down. It was good. And I went there because I wanted to see with my own eyes. Surely there ain't no kids behind that packet. Surely that pastor's driving a Cadillac somewhere down, right? We get critical. And then I begin to walk through the villages. And the poverty in the Dominican Republic is heartbreaking. I love their beaches, right? Some of y'all vacation on their beaches, but behind the beaches, there's extreme poverty and we see it. And this is the type of life that Eliani lives in. And then I begin to visit a local compassion church. And this is, compassion fuels local churches. And, and they allow them the finances, the resources, the accountability above all to be able to minister to their kids. And I, I visited this church and I walked around and I looked at the pastor and said, hey bro, where's the compassion logos? He said, we don't have any. I said, no, no, I, I need to, we, they got it on the shirt all over America. Where's the compassion logo? We don't have any of those. And then it dawned on me that what compassion does in rescuing kids from perishing is they prop up the local church and the pastor so that they are the heroes in the community. And so the gospel and the kingdom matters most, not the branding on their company name. And man, that began to speak volumes to me. And then I go in these poor communities and then I find a building that is full of life. Look at that. These beautiful little Dominican Republic kids learning about Jesus, rescue from perishing. Look at it. They're singing about him and doing motions. And my $38 allows our little Eliani the chance to do that. One of, the, one of their prized possessions is something we have, but it doesn't look as good as theirs. These are all the letters that we share with Eliani, but when you go in the DR, they find the scarce resources, their binders, and it's filled with my letters, your letters, and they read them. It is a source of pride for them, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then three years ago, after I toured all of that, Scott introduces me to the little girl we were sponsoring. Gosh, I hated him for it. <laughs> Man, I cried like a big old fat baby and we bought her some gifts. I colored with her and I hugged her. I met her parents. And my sponsorship, our sponsorship, is transforming her life with the gospel. And I knew then and there that there would become a Sunday where I'd give Connect Church to do the same thing. Scott, how much is my check for doing this? Do you remember just above zero, right? We, we don't get anything from you guys. It's compassion. <laughs> well, I say that. We gain a lot. This has been such a blessing to us. 
that one of our mission partners now is Compassion International. And let me tell you what's going to happen is, is we're going to rescue a lot of kids today. By the way, I think we already have, and maybe we'll get to celebrate that later on, but, but, but we're going to rescue a lot of kids today. And then over the next two years, we're going to do short-term missions over to, to, to the Dominican Republic. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to get to meet your kid. You're going to get to hug their neck and color with them. And it'll be one of the most transformative times in your life. Yeah, I'm excited today when I went to the DR right before the whole world shut down. I met Jonathan. He's a compassion child who's grown up and who's been rescued from poverty, who's been rescued from perishing. And you know what? I thought it'd be great if he flew in today. Took about 15 minutes and shared his story. And so Connect Church, let's take a moment. Let's welcome Mr. Jonathan to the stage as he shares his story with us. God bless you, Connect. It's truly a joy to be here. Uh, thank you for welcoming to your call, whether it's 95 <laughs> back home. <laughs> and uh, well, it's truly a joy to be here. Um, I, it's, it's good for almost two days because I came yesterday. I'm leaving today uh, to get some cold weather and go back to, the, to my hot weather. Um, as Pastor Anthony described uh, through the story of his own sponsored child, I grew up uh, in the reality of poverty, and that goes back to my grandparents, who, who were both uh, witchcraft priests in, in, in the DR in my country. And basically people would come to their house to find some spiritual guidance, but everything was demonic. Uh, my, some of my uncles, cousins, are, were named after demons, and that was the reality of my family. Uh, a lot of abuse, sexual abuse, and that sadly affected my mom, who, after being abused by an uncle, ran away from, from our family. She, she wasn't believed of, and so she ran away and end up homeless, uh, working in a restaurant, and sleeping in a table uh, in the resting time. She met my, fa my father in that reality, who is an alcoholic who used to go to this restaurant and, and saw him as a way out of the reality she was going through. Sadly, to realize he had a wife, four daughters, and there was no way, in fact, he wasn't happy that she was uh, pregnant. Um, in fact, he wanted her to abort, and by the grace of God, she didn't do it, and I have the joy now to be with you. But in that process of now she being homeless and in that reality, she didn't have any prenatal care. And that's why we say, I say, poverty hits children from the womb of the mom. And so in my case, uh, when, I, when I was born, I had calcium failure and so my teeth were very weak and they almost fall down and my mother went to a university public university where students could practice in my mouth and I could get the dentist care that I needed the dental care that I needed for free and so they will basically get a force jacket is that, is that what you call it and tie me to the bed and 
like 20 students watching my mouth, an open machine thing to keep my mouth open. I am describing a trauma reality now. <laughs> Is there a dentist today here? <laughs> I don't hate you anymore. Just wanted to clarify. But in that reality, uh, that was the only way my mother could provide to the reality I was going through. And all, through all of that, uh, for seven years, that, that situation that I described happens for seven years. And then uh, on the streets, I had to work to support my mom. And so I always share with kids in the DR that I used to be a diver. And they asked me, have you seen a shark in the Caribbean? And I say, I haven't, thanks God. Uh, not in the same water, uh, and I hope i never seen one. It, but, but the thing is, I was a diver in a dump site area. And so basically, a, a diver in, in a dumpster looked for plastic to recycle or iron to make a living. And so for us, was to help my mom pay the rent of the small shack just like the picture that we saw, that, that we live in. And I used to sell juice on the streets um, and empanadas also to support my mom. And in the midst of all that process, um, I needed to go to school, but I didn't have a uniform. And so you need a uniform to go to school in the DR. Someone in my community had a uniform, and so he agreed, his mom, agreed to lend me his uniform to go to school in the morning, try to keep it as clean as possible, uh, run back in, in, uh, by noon, it was four hours classes, and then give his uniform back so, so he could go to school. And, and that was my reality in order to get to school, maybe two years. And my shoes were broken as well, so I had holes down here, and I needed to take cardboard every day to put it inside the shoes. Um, when I'm sharing with children, I help them, try to help them understand that I used to walk like a robot, not, not to allow people to see the holes down here, because uh, even though you, as, as a little boy, you don't realize what poverty looks like, things started to make, didn't make sense for me that other children didn't have holes or my shoes eventually decided to flip-flop. You say talky shoes when they flip-flop? So we say in the DR, hungry shoes. So mine were both hungry and talky at the same time. And so my mom knew that edu education was a way out of, of our reality and so she will send me to school in that reality but I didn't get to understand poverty at its highest level until one day, uh, going to high school, and that happened many times, but one day, getting back to school in the morning, it was 95 Fahrenheit, 90% humidity, very, very, very hot and sweating. But then suddenly, uh, approaching to school, I used to work maybe 30 up to 40 minutes to go to school. Um, I'm feeling cold, just like I'm feeling right now. And, but at the same time, I'm trembling and I'm feeling weak and never realized that my sugar level was coming down because I didn't have food the day before. That's why at school, they always gave me a cookie. And every time, I just got restored back. So I couldn't understand. So children doesn't realize what poverty looks like until 
I was introduced to this local church in our community. My mother, the only thing she knew is that there is a church that provides food, school supplies, educational opportunity for children in need. I was seven, and so that was what we needed. And she applied, I got into a waiting list, and then one day they went to my house and told my mom that I was supposed to go. So they took a picture of me, um, and then boom, I'm three times a week, three hours every, every day, um, attending to this local church. And it was actually just like a Sunday Bible school, but through the week at the church, well, I received two meals a day, my very first school uniform, choose on, on summers by August prior to starting school. And also on Christmas, I got a pair of uh, chair and a pan. And Compassion then started to support me with the dental need that I had. For those of you thinking these are not real teeth, they are. Just to make sure. <laughs> you know. And so um, the, I think my wife married me because of the teeth. And I do the ditches. I do, I do the ditches as well. So you say, marry up? I marry up my wife. I'm lucky. I, sadly, I don't have a picture of her. Anyway, so, I've, and then suddenly I'm in this program where I, there's a pastor in this church and the teachers and tu or tutors, how we call it, the project director, all these people were providing love and support for me. But then suddenly I started to receive letters. And you might think, that's not a letter, that's a paragraph. Yes, or a paragraph. But it, it was a full... Uh, uh, it was a, a full page, and that's what I have now. This is Jamie, my sponsor. Uh, she's from Michigan. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Greetings from Michigan. I wanted to send you a little note to let you know that I was thinking about you. And uh, that might doesn't mean anything for someone, but for me, who didn't grow up with my father and used to meet him once in different places for five minutes, every month for 18 years, uh, it meant a lot because my father never called me to let me know that he was thinking about me. Whatever Michigan is, there is someone thinking about me. And here I have uh, playing 12, 15 years of letter writing between Jamie and I. And then, you know, got baptized, made my decision for Christ. Uh, my mom decided to be a volunteer at the Compassion Center. And then when I was about 14, that's when poverty hit me in a different level when my father's brothers introduced me to his family to realize they didn't know about me, nor his wife, nor my sisters. And nine months passed a year and my father realized I met his family, he didn't know. He came into my community, I got into his car, asked his blessing, and he, and he told me why you met my family without my permission. Uh, neither you or my brothers have the permission to get involved in my life. You have to understand you're a mistake in my life. And so that's when, that's when, that, that, that's a moment, that's a decisive moment in my life because I was struggling with the idea of nobody asked me to be born where I was born. I, I wasn't given a menu. I mean, I, I wish I could be born in Pigeon Force with the summer weather. But I couldn't. I was born where I was born. And uh, that was my reality. And, but I started to struggle in faith in my relationship with my father. 
and basically hating him. And through the support of my tutors and Jamie's letter, this letter came like a year, nine months after that conversation. And she sent me this letter. Greeting Jonathan from Michigan. She's very proud of our Michigan. <laughs> we received our first Austin of no today on Thanksgiving. Uh, whatever that is, I didn't know. Uh, I love turkey, though. I mean, I wish we could have. She explained what Thanksgiving is, though. She says, today is a great day to reflect on all the things that I am thankful for. And you are one of those that I am greatly thankful for. I understood there. And then she says, it is because of Jesus' birth that we can have hope and assurance of eternal life after death. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, 11. In Christ's love, Jamie. So two things in this paragraph letter. That's, this is the translation. You can see, but it's just, again, one paragraph. She's very good at writing paragraph. Two things. <laughs> On Thanksgiving, whatever that is, I didn't know what that was. She is playing. We celebrate. We in the U.S. are thankful about things, and, and, and you are, Jonathan, one of those things that I am greatly thankful for. So number one, even though my father thought that I was a mistake, this woman, thousands of kilometers away, in that freezing cold area, cold Michigan, she was thankful about me. And second, my hope and assurance doesn't come from my father, who thinks that I was a mistake, but from the finished work of Jesus in the cross. His birth and his death and resurrection provide me assurance not today, but for eternity. Therefore, I will not perish if I trust in him. And that's the reason Jesus had been born to me in the town of David, to save my life. Even though I went through all this poverty, the biggest need that I had was Christ. And I was pushed with that idea with my sponsor letter and the teacher at the church that faced me with the reality. You didn't have a father, but God provided a community of people loving you. And understanding that, that my father wasn't a follower of Christ, and I was, I had to surrender my pride and call my dad one day and said, Dad, I'm sorry to be a mistake in your life, but I wouldn't change who I am. They said at church that God one day will work it out, and today I understand. But you have to admit that I am the best mistake you have ever made. And uh, that was the way for me to, you know, land that conversation because, you know, I understood God. And I understand today even better the fact that I'm here today sharing my own story. And speaking on behalf of millions of children in need, God worked it out. Um, I, I had the blessing to have a wife. I married uh, a compassion tutor. I always emphasize she was not my tutor. No child protection to take care of all that. But she, we were both at the church. I grew up in the same church, so Compassion served there with the church. And so she was one of the teachers. And uh, by the grace of God, one wife, uh, praise the Lord. Making my wife happy is very hard. Two sons, Jonathan David and Jonathan Edwards, uh, five and ten months. Excited that I'm heading back home today, back uh, but that's the greatest joy that I have. I didn't, even though I didn't have a father, I'm a father right now. Uh, growing up, my kids to be now 
men of God, uh, people, godly men of God that uh, in the future eventually will have one wife as well and will serve in their own families. But here's the thing. My mom, uh, while I was at the center, went to university. She's a professor now. And both of my grandparents, uh, they didn't perish. They made the decision for Christ and they die as followers of Christ. I'll see them one day. That's the greatest blessing that I have received from compassion. I, I don't have a package with me, but you will see that um, the biggest need these children have. This is what I want you to, to remember. Every time you sponsor a child, you are enabling a local church in a poor community to spread the gospel to that child and the family, just like happened to me. This is beyond avoiding Starbucks or Taco Bell. This is about, this is about discipleship. Uh, Jamie used her letters not only to show about snow or cold weather, but to show the gospel to me. And that community of people, the local church, my pastor, my teachers, Jamie from the U.S., that community made me the man that I am today. I have the joy to work with Compassion in the DR, and so I oversee all the letters that come back and forth between sponsors and children, and also visitors who come down to the DR, about 30,000 letters. Now having the opportunity to lead that process and to see that happen, who will imagine that a child considered a mistake will do that? Well, that happened because this is supernatural discipleship work. I hope you consider it. God bless you. You know, the impact of just spending a little bit of time there, Eliani, on our family. I, I thought we could do a Sunday, a Compassion Sunday here at Connect Church. And, and our goal today is to, to rescue 150 kids. And uh, as parents, we, uh, we decided to move past just Eliani. We're going to support her, but we needed to add a few more. So we, we decided to adopt a, a kid for every kid that we have. And so we got into the boxes a little bit early. And, and there's Anthony, who's my son's age who Bennett's going to write back and forth with. And, and we're going we're gonna to rescue, yes, Melina, and that is uh, Sadie's uh, little girl she picked out. And, and, so, and so Avery now has uh, Ashley, and, and Chloe will have Eliani. And so for each of my kids, it's, it's a financial investment that we think is going to, is going to reach some pretty incredible things. So we, I know we had some rescue in the first hour. But that's at least three that we're going we're gonna to rescue. And Scott, you shared with me, it takes about 14 days. So let's talk through Anthony. In about 14 days, he's going to get a church a pastor team contact him and say, hey, hey, buddy, listen, you're sponsored. And he's going to see our picture and learn our name. And you know what? For him who's been out there for 264 days, the wait will be over for him. Why, why do this? Because whether it's someone in, in the nations like DR who are perishing or it's someone next door to us, from our neighborhoods to the nations, those who've been rescued from perishing, we must rescue those who are perishing. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.